Well, good morning, guys. We are in the middle of this series we're calling Covenant. And I just want to start this morning by saying, you know, sometimes being an adult kind of sucks, right? Um, it's hard. It's harder than I thought it would be, too. Like, I, like you, you know or you're warned, you know, when you grow up, but it's just difficult, right? And, and sometimes we have those days or those mornings, or maybe for you it's an ever-morning thing if you're not a morning person. Um, we, but we have those days where we just do not want to adult, right? We just don't want to adult. And I think this picture pretty much sums up how we feel on those days. I don't want to adult today. Please don't make me adult today, right? So, you know, life can just, just make, us, make us feel like that at times. And I know for me, those are the days when um, I start to ask some really difficult questions to myself. I start to ask questions like, you know, uh, is what I'm doing really worth the time and the effort that I'm having to, to pour into it? You know, am am I really making a difference? Does you know, does what what I'm doing count for something? And so this um, last week, I had one of these these moments where you know I start to ask myself these questions, and it all started because a, a few weeks ago, when time changed, you know, we fell back an hour. Uh, me and my friend that I ride with to work, that I commute with, we had this this really really bright idea to start going in earlier, you know, because the time was going to fall back. So we would just get up like we normally would. Our bodies would be none the wise, and we would get up an hour earlier. So I went from waking up at 5.15 to waking up at 4.15 in order to make it work on time and get off an hour earlier. Brilliant plan, I know. Nothing could go wrong. And everything was going okay. Well, not real okay, because I was getting up at 5 or 4.15, but it was working until I had to work really late one night and didn't get off until early in the morning. I got home and I, uh, I worked the next day and the following day I get up at 4.15 and I look like that dog in that picture. Um, and I'm setting in the driveway, picture this, I'm setting in the driveway in my car, I've gotten ready for work. Um, and I, you know, I managed to get dressed. I got all my clothes on before going out the door and I'm got a coffee, a Red Bull, and I'm sitting in my car in the driveway and I start to ask these questions like, you know, where am I? Whose car is this? Whose house is this? Now the serious questions were, what am I, what am I doing? Is this really worth getting up at 415 for? You know, am I really making a difference? Um, and I think, you know, what, what I landed on that, that morning sitting in the car um, as I prayed to God was to just, you know, feel that, that I had a purpose. Not only that I had a purpose, to somehow get back to normal, whatever normal was. Have you, have you ever been there where you just think, if I could just get past this day, I could get back to whatever, whatever normal is? And I think, you know, one, one, re, one thing that makes us ask those questions is being tired, being burnt out, whatever you want to call it. Um, it makes us evaluate, so to speak, evaluate our lives. But I think another thing um, that, that makes us ask those questions 
is when we get stuck in this routine, and maybe you're not tired, physically, mentally tired like I was, or maybe you're not even spiritually tired, but you're, you're just tired of the, the routine. And you feel like you're doing the same thing day after day. Um, and maybe it's at home, maybe it's at work, whatever it is. Maybe you feel like you're dealing with the same people, the same problem, and it's not ever really being resolved. Or if you're a mom... I know that moms can relate to this because I can say one word and and that emotion will come bubble up to the top uh, for you. And it is laundry, right? (laughs) Where does all the laundry come from? Like it like multiplies. Um, And where does the other sock go? I don't know. I don't have an answer for that. Like, we just want to, like, throw away all these mismatched socks and go buy new socks. We do that occasionally. But, um, so, yeah, on top of all that, I know that, that moms have those moments where they're like, really? Is what I'm doing making a difference? Does it, does it really, does it really matter? When we get stuck in those routines, doing the same thing, over and over. And I think all of this can leave us maybe feeling drained or or dry and searching for something. Maybe searching for, like I was, searching for that that normality, that just feeling normal again, whatever that is. And we're looking for something to, to make us feel like we count something to make us feel, make us feel alive again. The good news is this is not a new problem. As, as we're going to look at today, as we're going to go through some of the history of, from Adam onward, we're going to find out that, that even Adam, as far back as Adam, the, this same problem was occurring. And to understand more about this search to, to feel normal, we need to understand a few things about God and about ourselves. So we're going to start with God and a few characteristics about God. So you may already know this, and because I know you guys are smart, but a few things about God is that a God is the God of the Bible. That is that, that we believe the Bible teaches that God is all knowing, that He knows everything. Another thing that is God, God is all powerful. That, that there's nothing that He cannot do. There are some things He doesn't do, but there there's nothing He cannot do, and that that God is ever present. That He is everywhere all the time. And another thing about God is that God does not change. So, so that God with those characteristics is the God that created the earth that we live in or live on and then populated that earth with people. And because God is all-knowing, um, he, he knew very well that, that we would reject him. So from the beginning, he had a plan to redeem his creation and here's a, here's a quick look just at a little timeline of how that kind of kind of played out and it'll be on the screen there so um, God created not not that but yeah that's how we feel at 4:45 in the morning um, God created Adam well, the first we start with the creation and God created Adam and Adam and Eve were the, the first and only of God creation to ever really feel that, that perfect norm or that normal that we're talking about. And uh, Adam was given one rule, and he, he blew it. He blows that one rule. From that moment, 
creation would, would search their whole lives to, to get that, that normal back. Um, and some of God's creations may make some, some horrible decisions from Adam about through about nine generations. Um, some very bad things go on there. And then God starts fresh with a man and his family. And that's where we see Noah come into play in this timeline. And, and Noah, God picked Noah to be a, a big part a uh, big participant of his plan, and that's Noah and, and the ark and all that stuff. And then about 10 generations later, we run into a guy named Abram, or, or God changed his name to Abraham. And he shows up as, as just a young a young man. God made him a huge promise um, that he would be the father of many nations, gave him a very specific land for that nation to live in. And then if we jump forward about six more generations, we run into Moses. And Moses was the let my people go, Moses, that guy. And so Moses uh, led the Israelites out of Egypt. And that, that's when that nation started to form as God had promised. And that's kind of where we're going to start and look at, you know, some of the law that, um, that God gave Moses and then that promise and that covenant that we've been talking about. So God kind of ramps up those rules. He goes from one rule for Adam, and Adam um, blew that in the beginning. So God's like, okay, here's 615 more for the nation of Israel. Yeah, they're going to keep those, right? So God makes this covenant with them, this promise that if, if they follow his commandments, then he'll take care of them. So the nation says, yes, we'll, we'll follow the commandments. And they make this, this blood covenant. They make this, this, this con- they kind of sign this contract with God saying, yes, we will do that. Um, you will, if you follow me, God says, I will take care of you. But if you fail to follow me, then, then that path will lead to destruction. And then Moses, we're going to look just at a, a, a passage here where Moses describes what will happen. And he warns them. If they do break the covenant, listen to what he says here in Deuteronomy. He says, Deuteronomy 28, The Lord will cause you to be defeated by your enemies. You will attack your enemies from one direction, but you will scatter from them in seven. You will be an object of horror to all the kingdoms of the earth. Your corpses will be food for all the scavenging birds and wild animals, and no one will be there to chase them away. That's pretty tough, right? That's pretty bad. That's, it's very, very descriptive in a very bad way of what would happen to Israel. And um, the history of Israel kind of went like this, that, that they would follow God, they would reject God, and they, they would repent and say, oh God, we're so sorry. We messed up. And then they would start following God again. And they just went through this cycle. And it was this cycle of a broken covenant or a broken promise to God and God knew they would do it. Um, it was actually part of His plan, and um, it, God gave them so many laws to actually prove to them that they couldn't earn God's favor, that they couldn't be good enough to get into God's favor on their own, that they couldn't be holy enough, and they would need help. They would need help from a Savior, and they would need Jesus, just as we do today. Um, they broke the covenant, and, and God does exactly what he said he would do. And listen to how serious God was and how serious God takes this covenant with Israel. We find this passage in, in Jeremiah. Listen to, to what he says. He says, because you have broken the terms of our covenant, 
I will cut you apart from just as you cut apart the calf when you walk between the halves to solemnize your vows. Yes, I will cut you apart whether you are officials. He said it doesn't matter who you are, whether you're officials, your priests, common people. God's saying, if you cross me, I'm going to cut you. That's what he's saying. Um, I will give you to your enemies and they will kill you. I mean, he, he's serious about this. Your bodies will be food for the vultures and the wild animals. So we, we know that, that Israel failed to keep that covenant, to, failed to keep their end of it. And, and God allows a, a, another country to come in and a ruler named Nebuchadnezzar to punish Israel for like 15 years. And finally, he destroys Israel in about 586 B.C. And it's just destruction. Thousands of Israelites are killed, just as God had said. So if we fast forward a few years later, after that destruction, and after all those people killed, we run in to a prophet named Ezekiel. And we're going to look at this, this experience that, that Ezekiel had and what it means to Israel as far as their covenant is concerned and what it means to us today. Because there is, there's, although, and Harley will talk about this, although there, this is not specifically speaking to us, there, there's a lot we can learn from it. So Ezekiel 37 the Lord took me, took hold of me, and I was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord to a valley filled with bones. He led me all around among the bones that covered the valley floor. They were scattered everywhere across the ground and were completely dried out. So picture this, picture this. You come to this valley, and we don't know exactly how big. It was a big valley, and there were thousands of of bodies of Israelite soldiers. And Ezekiel knew what this was. He was familiar with the fact that, that this had happened and there's these bones that had been there so long that they were completely dry. And this, to, to not bury someone in, in that day it was to a great disgrace, like it is today. And um, it, it was reserved not to bury someone was reserved for someone who who broke their promise or broke a covenant like the Israelites did. And listen to what God asked Ezekiel here in verse three. Then he asked me, son of man, can these bones become living people again? And I, and I have to think that at this point, Ezekiel is like, not if I have anything to do with it. You know, I ain't about the walking dead here. You know, that's, that's, I'm not into the zombie thing. I, I got to think that Ezekiel was kind of thinking that a little bit. But listen to how he, he answers respectfully to God. Oh, sovereign Lord, I replied, you alone know the answer to that. Ezekiel's like, I don't know, but you, you know, I know that you know. Then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to these bones and say, dry bones, listen to the words of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I'm going to put breath into you and make you live again. I will put flesh on your muscles. I will put flesh and muscle on you and cover you with skin. I'll put breath into you and you will become 
and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So what did Ezekiel do? He said, I, I spoke the message just as he told me. Suddenly as I spoke, there was a rattling noise all across the valley. The bones of each body came together and attached themselves com as complete skeletons. Then as I watched, muscles and flesh formed all over the bones, then skin formed to cover their bodies, but they had no breath in them. So these, all these bones come together, make complete bodies once again, but no life's left in them. They're just lifeless <coughs> bodies. And this is where we're going to hit pause. Harley's going to come up. He, he's going to take us through verse 9 and through the remainder of this passage. You know, I'm trying to uh, picture what Ezekiel's face would have been like as he is like thinking and seeing these bodies come together, these bones move together, and they're actually growing tendons and muscle and flesh all right before his eyes. What must Ezekiel have looked like in that moment? This is all I could come up with. Ron Weasley. <laughs> I think that's exactly what Ezekiel looked like in that moment. Now, Ezekiel goes on uh, in the next verse, uh, verse 9. Listen to what he says. Then he, and he's talking about God here. Then God said to me, speak a prophetic message to the wind, son of man. Speak a prophetic message and say this. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, O breath, from the four winds, breathe into these dead bodies so they may live again. Verse 10, so I spoke the message as he commanded, and breath came into their bodies, and they all came to life, and they stood up on their feet, a great army. Wow. What he's talking about here is breath breathed into these bodies. It kind of reminds me of what happened with Adam, as the Bible describes in, in, at creation, at the beginning of Genesis. The breath entered into these bodies. They were lifeless. They were there. They were dead, though, lifeless bodies and breath. The, the Hebrew word for breath is ruah. Breath. But the interesting thing is that is the very same word that God uses in the Old Testament to describe his spirit, ruah, breath, the breath of God, the spirit of God. And it's as if Ezekiel here is saying, by the command of God, saying, place your spirit, God, place your breath, your spirit into these bodies so they may live. In verse 11, then he said to me, son of man, these bones represent the people of Israel. So now he gives us the picture. These dead bodies that now have life, he says they represent something. Not just the past, not just the fact that Israel broke the covenant that we had with Mo Moses and you, Israel. You broke this covenant, and this is the destruction that I promised if you broke the covenant. He said, that's the past, but I'm going to give you a better future that involves life. And here's how he words it. He said, then he said to me, son of man, these bones represent the people of Israel. They are saying, so the bones are crying out. We have become old, dry bones. All hope is gone. Our nation is finished. Therefore, prophesy to them. So he's saying now, Ezekiel Speak to these bones, speak to this nation of Israel and say, 
This is what the sovereign Lord says. Oh, my people, I will open your graves of exile and cause you to rise again. And then I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Verse 13, when this happens, oh, my people, you will know that I am Lord. Verse 14, I will put my spirit in you and I and you will live again and return to your homeland. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done what I said. Yes, the Lord has spoken. You see, God is telling them, I'm going to bring you back to this land that I promised Abraham. We talked about that in week number one. This land that I promised Abraham and I gave Abraham and that very land that I sent you out of because you broke this covenant, I'm going to bring you back to this land. I'm going to give you another chance. But you see, in this moment, God is speaking specifically to Israel. At this moment right here, he's speaking to Israel. He is not speaking to us. He's not talking to us, the church. He's not talking to you, not talking to me. He's talking specifically to Israel. But I believe that God is so consistent with his truth and what he teaches us in his word. And, and, and in this story, there is a truth that applies to us today. See, I believe that God brings dead things to life if they receive his breath of life, his ruah, his spirit. Now that is for us today. That is for us right now. And here's my question. Do you believe that God can actually make you new? No matter what decisions you have made in your past, no matter what decisions you made this past weekend, last night, last week, last year, no matter what you have done, do you believe that God can actually make you new, bring you back to life from the death that you've been living? You see, I believe that because that's what God has done and is doing in me. And I want you to listen to the way Paul words this. He bring, Paul kind of brings what we have talked about two weeks ago and last week and this week and really where we're going next. He brings it all together and kind of summarizes this whole series with, with a few passages. I want to read them quickly. Romans chapter 4 verse 16. Listen to how Paul summarizes this whole thing. He says in verse 16, so the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift. It is this promise that for us, this promise of connection, eternal connection with God. He said it's given as a free gift and we are all certain to receive it whether or not we live according to the law of Moses. So he jumps back to what we talked about last week with the law of Moses. And then he jumps back to Abraham. Listen to this. He, uh, to the law of Moses. If we have faith like Abraham's. He says, for Abraham is the father of all who believe. In verse 17, that is what the scriptures mean when God told him, I have made you, he's God speaking to Abraham, I've made you the father of many nations. And then Paul describes under, uh, to us what this means. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings, what is this? The dead back to life. And who creates, listen to this, new things out of nothing. Verse 18, 
even when there was no reason for hope. He says, even when Abraham should have given up, he didn't. He said, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. Why did he believe this? Here it says, for God said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And, and Abraham was like, God said it. I, I, it doesn't matter how old I am. He was old. I believe God. That's what he was saying. Verse 19, and Abraham's faith did not weaken even though at about 100 years of age. How many kids did he have? Wow, he was way behind, way behind. At 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead. And so was Sarah's womb. Verse 20, Abraham, though, he never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God. Verse 21, he was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. Guess where? What, what we, we talked about that week number one. Verse 22, and because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. And now he brings this back to us. Paul brings this back to us again. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded, he says, for our benefit too, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him. Who is that? Him, the one who raised our Lord from the dead. Verse 25, he was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised to life to make us right with God. Now, our bottom line today is this. God's covenant plan brings life from death. God's covenant plan that he had from the very beginning of time, even though Israel broke their covenant, God's covenant plan brings life from death. Now I want you to go back to Paul again. This is from a letter he wrote in to, uh, to the church at Ephesus. It's Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 and 5. Listen to this. But God is so rich in mercy. He loved us so much that even though we were what? Dead. Even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us what? Life. When he raised Christ from the dead. You see, God's covenant brings life from death. And in this case, our life, we get life because of the death of Christ. God brings life from death. And he goes on, it is only by God's grace that you have been saved. That's to remind you, you can't earn it, you didn't deserve it, you can't work for it, you can't be good enough for it. Paul says in this next letter, a letter to the church at, Col at Colossians, um, Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. You were what? Dead because of your sins. And because of your sinful nature, it was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive in Christ, for he forgave all of our sins. He canceled the record of charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. He said God didn't just erase it. He took that record of charge against you and against me and he nailed that. Your guilty statement, the things we did, he nailed it all to the cross. Verse 15, in this way he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He, he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. God's covenant plan brings life from death. 
You see, even when you and I, when we fail to surround ourselves with what God wants us to surround ourselves, and instead what we end up doing, we surround ourselves with dead things. We surround ourselves with dead-end relationships. We surround ourselves with dead-end habits. We surround ourselves with the walking dead. And from that, from the midst of that, God can bring us back to life. Watch this video as it kind of puts a picture to what God did here in front of Ezekiel. Watch this. God's covenant plan brings life from death. God's plan will bring us life. Even if we have surrounded ourselves with death-type living, God will bring us to life. Now, this is amazing to me. We're going to go from this scene... And project forward now, Jesus, who died on the cross, then three days later, he rose again. We're going to show up in this scene after Jesus has left the tomb. And listen to what happens in Luke chapter 24. We're going to start with verse 1. But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there, puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified, and they bowed their faces to the ground. And the men asked them, Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He's risen from the dead. Remember, he told you back in Galilee that the Son of Man must be portrayed into the hands of sinful man and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. These men looked at the women and they said, why, why, why are you looking among the dead for the living? Think with me for a moment, because God's covenant, his covenant plan, it brings us life from death. And here's my question to you. Why Why have you and I, why why have we, why have you been looking everywhere else in your life for life? Why have you been looking for life among dead habits? Why have you been spending your time among the dead end journey? Why have you been looking for life among the dead? For you, what, what is the dead-end path that you've been traveling? Just hoping it would bring some life into you. For you, what is that habit that has been leading to a dead-end life? But you've been looking to that habit to bring you life. <coughs> but it's just a dead end. What is it around you? What is it that has become the walking dead in your life and you have been hoping it would bring you life? Let me get real personal for a moment. For you, possibly, what 
dead-end relationship? Have you been just hoping and waiting for that person to breathe life into you? And I want to give you a heads up. That person cannot and never will be able to breathe life into you. But you've been pursuing that person and that relationship just hoping maybe today I will feel alive today. I believe God says to us, why are we looking for life among the dead? It seems like we look everywhere around us for something that makes us feel again, that makes us feel alive again. And we're just surrounding ourselves with death. Because the truth is, The only way that we can get life moment by moment, day by day, the only way we can get life is from what the Bible describes as ruah, God's breath, God's spirit placed in you. Maybe this morning, just perhaps this morning, you are ready to say to God, God, I have been looking for life in other people around me, or I have been looking for life in things around me, or I have been looking for life in substance around me. I've been looking everywhere except to you. And yes, maybe you know that the Bible says that God loves you. And yes, maybe you know that the Bible says that Jesus came to die on the cross for you, but just perhaps that's just information. Maybe you've never been transformed by God's spirit. Maybe this morning you're ready to say to God, God, I recognize, I realize that yes, you died on the cross for me. And here's my challenge. If you have not yet submitted and surrendered your life to the control and the care of Jesus, then I would encourage you to do it today. And you say, Harley, well, how do I do that? Let me just simply tell you. You say, God, I believe that you died on the cross and you died for me. And if I'm saying these words and in your heart you're saying, yes, Harley, that's me. That's what I believe. That's what I'm saying right now. Then just in your heart, in your mind, tell that to God right now. God, I believe that you died on the cross for me. Three days later, you rose again. And you bring life from death. And it took the death of Jesus to bring me life. When you died on the cross, you died for me. And when you died on the cross and rose again, you made a purchase, a holy purchase at the cross. You purchased my life. And at this moment, right now, God... This life that I have, even though I have been making all my decisions, I've been doing life my way in this moment as best I can and as best I can understand at the moment. God, I give you this life because you bought it. You purchased it on the cross. I give it to you. I surrender it to you. It is yours. I was the boss and there is now a transfer of ownership. God, you are now my boss. You own this life. If that's what your heart is saying, just tell God. Because 
It is only through Jesus. As he places his spirit inside of you, the moment you surrender your life to him, it is that moment that you become his. It is that moment. It is that moment that you surrender all of this to him and you say, God, it is yours. And that that is the moment that he brings you life from his death. That is the moment that he takes you from death and gives you life. This morning, if you are making that decision, I just encourage you before you leave on the back of your connection card, before you place it into the giving bucket in just a few moments, on the back of that card, there's a place for you to mark that for the first time you're making Jesus the boss of your life. You're surrendering to him. Would you mark that? And before you leave uh, by, at the table, the next step table, you have to walk around it to get out. There's, uh, uh, there are some things set up. Would you take the one that says first step, my next step, first steps, take the first steps handout. Take that with you. So, so important. The information in there as you get started. Now, this is This next step is for all of us. On our Facebook page right now, if you're on live, you'll be able to see it immediately. But if you're in here in this room with us right now, you can look at it in just a moment. If you would glance at the Facebook page or glance at my profile page, I have placed a next step for today. It's a big step. It's a big step. But it's a step that every single one of us can take. And and I'll be honest, some of you have already taken this step. And I'm going to challenge you, encourage you to take this step again. It's on the Facebook page. You can go there and look at it very quickly. In fact, you could look at it right now. I'm going to pray for us in just a moment. The band's on their way up. We're going to close with one song. Then we're going to collect all the connection cards. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, your word tells us. Your word tells us that we were dead. That's how you describe us, that we were dead because of our sins. But God, you also tell us in that same passage that you made us alive with Christ. And in that you forgave all of our sins. And not only did you forgive them, but you took our record of sins, every single one. And you took that record and you nailed it to the cross of Jesus. And there those sins were paid there. Those sins were forgiven. And because you died for us and you did what you said you would do three days later, you rose again. Because you did that, you defeated death, and you and you alone can bring life from death. And my life, God, that you've given me, because I've surrendered to you, that life came from your death, and I'm so grateful. God, many of our friends here this morning, some have, for the very first time, surrendered the ownership of their lives from themselves to you. And God, many of us are going to take the next step, this 40-day journey in your word. God, we ask that you would take these people that you call Stuttgart Harvest Church, and you would use them to make an impact on many, many lives around us, because you are making an impact on us right now. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, Messiah. In your name we pray, amen.